You can hear me? No? Yes? Maybe a little bit too much, too loud? Well, I wasn't quite 30 years of age. And for me, it just felt that so much of my life had caved in. I'd completed uh, two pastoral ministry appointments, both in Victoria and also interstate. And I was standing on the back elevated deck of my home in Alinda in the Dandenongs, overlooking the lights of Melbourne. We'd returned from interstate, but all of our possessions were still interstate underneath somebody's house stored. And we returned to our home that we'd let out for so many years and had been abused by tenants. I had to be careful where I stood on the deck, otherwise I'd go through the rotted boards and the neglect that had taken place underneath those that had hired the place. My wife's sister had just come to pick her up and, and take her and our little first daughter back to their place. And while it never was a thought within their mind at all, I could not help but wonder why on earth she would come back to me in our situation. I had no income and we were surviving by having uh, steamed vegetables each night and treating ourselves with a little sprinkling of cheese on top. And that was it. Our wider family knew that we were, we were skinned without much and so they gave us at Christmas time uh, a hamper so that we would have something to eat. It was a Sunday and I really couldn't afford to put petrol in the car to go over the hill to the other side of the Dandenongs to a church that we'd started to go to. Standing on the balcony looking out behind me was a broken back door. We'd been sleeping on the house, on, the, on the, a very thin mattress inside the empty house with nowhere else really to go. And behind me it was the back door that was broken in because burglars had just broken in, taken what we had, a suitcase, and emptied the cupboard of our food. I felt so alone, so disposed of and with my emotions and thoughts everywhere. It just looked like that everything in my life had caved in. What do we do when we reach that moment? Some of you have, and you know what I'm talking about, and your mind goes back to that, that occasion that you experienced where you were. Some of us are young, and that hasn't happened to us yet, but there's every likelihood that it will. And there's those within us now that their life looks something like that, where relationships and things are upside down financially, things back to front. And you won't let anybody know today because it's just so deeply disturbing and shattering for you. But that's where you are today. What do we do when life tumbles in? What happens then? And Father, I pray that as we uh, unfold this, together, 
that by your Holy Spirit present in this place that you would open up your word to us that we would not just be conscious of sitting within a room somewhere with some folks or an old guy on the platform but that we would know that whispering in our heart is you and your love to where we are right now and I pray in Jesus name Amen when life tumbles in what happens then Let's look at this through the eyes of uh, the character that we've been following in these last weeks, uh, David. And uh, David is on the run. Everything in his world seems to have fallen apart. And our reading today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 22, if you'd like to turn with me, uh, verses 1 to 5. 1 Samuel 22, 1 to 5. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontent gathered around him and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God is going to do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. David was on the run, but he'd had everything together. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 16 that when Samuel came to lay hands on him, that he was a man of ruddy appearance, handsome, good-looking. Later on in the scriptures, he said he had fine, fine features. And if David was here this morning, um, the young ladies would not only be looking at me, but glancing across to see what he was doing. Fine appearance and great ability. Second Samuel chapter 23 verse 1 says he was the singer of songs, Israel's singer of songs. He was the celebrity. And out of all of Israel, he was chosen to be the one that would go and sing in the royal court before King Saul. And so he would take up his heart and Saul, that was a, a bad-tempered person with a lot of the evil stuff going on inside him, would be eased as David plays and he had that ability to play in such a way that there's something within Saul changed even as such as the musicians today as they've played we feel something shift within us and we find ourselves understanding or not even understanding that there's something different takes place within us as we listen to that and as David played unseen realms of spiritual forces moved he had an incredible ability with the harp and with the song and some of his songs we'll read in a moment so he had his appearance he had his ability and he had his achievement then we come to chapter 17 and there's that classic story of david and david and goliath and david takes five smooth stones this appears to be those that's suffering from giantism Goliath and his four brothers, that's five in all, 
And David takes five stones. And of course, at the end of chapter 17, he's left holding Goliath's head by the hair, standing before the king of Israel, Saul. All of the soldiers of Israel had trembled, had scattered, but David had taken him on, decapitated him, and everybody knew about it. He had his achievements. He also had his affirmation. Because when he walked out of that, he went into the streets. Everybody wanted to be near David. Everybody wanted to say that they saw him. Everybody wanted to go home and say what he was like. Everybody perhaps would want to be spoken to him. And the ladies came out of their houses with their harps and their lutes and their musical instruments as he would come along and they gathered around him, so excited that they would see this celebrity that everybody wanted to see above everybody else in Israel. And they would, the ladies would dance around him and they would sing and they created a song for the moment that went out right throughout Israel and then through the generations for, us to, for me to share the lyrics of with you now. And they sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. He was the man affirmed by everybody that everybody thought was wonderful. He had his appearance, he had his ability, he had his achievements, he had the affirmation, and then he received acceptance. Because King Saul was getting a little bit worried about this person that was getting all of his attention and saw him as a threat. So rather than leave him on the outside, decided to take him into his family and then he would be with his family and gives to him his daughter, Michal who is disappointed to find out actually falls in love with David. So he's accepted into the royal family now. And now he has his place within the royal echelon of who would take whose place if something happened to the king. He's accepted in the highest echelon of Israel. Not only is he accepted, he has this audacious way of going about things so that he could actually manipulate or slyly find things going his way so while he's on the run he goes to he goes to uh, the priest of the tabernacle at a place called Nob now you can all be grateful for the naming of your suburb that you live in but wouldn't want to be named that but that was the place where they were went to Nob and David goes in by himself because he's now alone and he asks for something to eat and there's nothing, no bread there to eat. So David takes the bread that has been put before the Lord as an offering and has just been removed with fresh bread going on to the offering for the next week. And the bread that came off would be that which the priest would eat, that would be what their provision would be because they would not work. They would have that as their sustenance. And David comes in and he takes five of those loaves, leaving seven for the rest, rest of the crew. He has an audacious way about him. And then when he's trying to find a place in which he can uh, find rest, find security, he goes down to a Philistine place called Gath and speaks to the king of Gath, who sees him coming and is afraid of him because he is the one that has slain Philistines. 
And this is the Philistine king. He wants to come inside. And he's afraid that if he comes inside, their whole town of Gath is going to be in trouble. So they shut the gate. And David thinks that the only way that he can get in here is act as if he's crazy. So he pretends he's insane. So he's outside the gate of Gath with his fingernails clawing on the outside of the, of the gate. And he's letting saliva run down his beard on his face. And I won't do that for you today. Thank you very much. Pretending just to be completely mad. So he has this audacious way about him which he won't go about getting what he wants. But he's on the run. And the way of his attractiveness or his ability, his achievements, the affirmation around the place, his audacity, have all fallen apart. None of that counts now. The king is after him, seeing him as a threat. He's running from place to place to place, sleeping in different places lest people, people betray him. He's on the run. And relying on all of that stuff no longer means anything. He's alone. His emotions are everywhere. His thoughts are conflicting. And he's just trying to survive. Knowing that if they can't find him, they'll go for his family. And they will be in trouble or killed. He organises for his family to be taken from their home place over into Moab, but he's alone. What do you do when life tumbles in? The wonderful thing that we find with David as the singer of songs is that we can find ourselves inside what David is feeling and thinking because he writes psalms about these occasions. And so rather than just reading First Samuel where we hear a story of where he went and where he didn't go, it's in the psalms that we find out what's going on actually within his own heart. And if you turn to Psalm 34 to begin with in your, in your scriptures, Psalm 34, have a look at that if you possibly can. And take note that there's a heading on the top of this psalm of David. Now, the headings on the top of, Psalm of, uh, of all of the psalms are there for a reason. They're not just left off as directions for a musician or something like that. They're included because they're inspired. That is inspired. It means that God can breathe through that into your life and for you to have a life and be alive because of what the context is. So when you get to Psalm 34, you see it's the Psalm of David. And the heading is, when he feigned insanity before Abimelech who drove him away and he left. So David with his audacity tries to find a place of shelter at Gath. Abimelech says you're not coming in here. He's clawing at the gate, he's dribbling everywhere and you're not coming in here. And David goes off and it's Psalm 34 here that he puts together. And so it's in here that you see what he's thinking as the one whose world has fallen apart. This is what he's thinking, this is what he's feeling right here within the scriptures. And in chapter in Psalm 34, verse 8, this is what he this is what he sings after he's thrown out. He says, Taste, 
and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Everything's falling apart. But it's in the moment of our extremity when we've gone from green to yellow to red and we're at the breaking point. And when we've gone to our extremity, that's when God, there's God's opportunity. That's when we're listening to God. That's when we're ready to change. Otherwise, that's a nice sermon. Why don't we go home? I wonder who's on next week. But as C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our comfort, our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but yells at us in our pain. That's the moment of learning when we're really listening. And that's the moment when God is going to teach us something that we're not ready for anywhere else. It's that when we're open. Now, normally in those situations, we come and we come to church and say, Pastor, this has happened. Pray your prayer and fix it. <laughs> I've had a few of those. Oh, this is not right. Uh, God, you better sort this out or I'm not coming to church next week or I don't believe in you. I don't think you're going to exist because you're not doing it my way. That's what that sort of stuff happens. We want to just get everything back to normal so we can forget about it all and get on with our life. But no, God, God is about something in pain. God is about something when our world falls in. God is seeking to do something in that time when he can't do it anywhere else. And David, thrown out of the town, having scratched on the gate, dribbled on his beard, he's out there, he's, he's, he sings a song, and the song is, Taste and see that the Lord is good. God is, something about, God is about something good here. Something good. It's not just all bad, there's something good going on. And so in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul picks this up and says, as you know very well, all things to work together for good for those that love the Lord. All things, not just the pretty things, but when our all falls, world falls apart, God is about doing something good. God is about taking us from where we are that we think is good to the better place where it's even more good. God, through the circumstances, is working to take us to a place that is better, stronger, more stable, more secure. Taste and see. That's not something that automatically happens. So David sings, taste and see. We can ignore it. We can jump up and down, protest, try to organise everybody else, get it back all in order. We can ignore it. But God is about something and we can take that in because it's going to be good for us. Taste and see. See for yourself that the Lord is good. He's about something good here. And so it continues, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Not in the appearance. Not in your ability. Not refuge in your achievement. 
not refuge, in the affirmation or your acceptance or the audacity of the way that you might try to sort things out. But blessed is the one who moves their place of security from what can be moved to that which never can. Taste and see. Good is coming. Blessed is the one whose refuge is in him. Is starting to filter down into David. And how he's going to respond in this moment when it looks like all of life has collapsed. So he goes from Gath and goes to a place called the Cave of Adullam. I'm not sure whether I, my Hebrew pronunciation is very good, but let me just work with that. The Cave of, the cave of Adullam. He's in the cave and within himself, he's in a hole. That's how it is. But God is teaching him something. And once again, we see in the Psalms that we can look into how David's feeling, what he's thinking, what he's going through, this, this process he's churning through himself. And there's two Psalms that are written with the inscription at the front saying that they were written in the cave. David's in the cave of Adullam. Two Psalms are written in a cave. So why don't we go to the first of those, that's Psalm 142 that I'll bring to your attention, Psalm 142. And here we hear David going off about how everything's fallen apart, about what it feels like, Psalm 142. And it's called a mascal. Different people have ideas about what the Psalms are called when it's called mascal. But some scholars would say mascals is a way, is a way of learning that has taken place that is put into a song so that other people may learn this as well. It's a methodology of teaching. Rather than putting a platform up and an old guy with a, uh, a white beard on and give him a microphone, no, we'll have a song because we all remember songs, do we not? So why don't we put the reality of what happens with David, we put it into a song because it's the way it happens when you're in a hole. This is what you can learn. And it puts it into Psalm 142. So it's a mascal. So let me read to you Psalm 142. And this is David. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord. Mercy. I, I, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell him my trouble. My spirit grows weak. Listen to my cry. I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me. They're too strong for me. Set me free. This is David in the hole, in the cave. And we would say the cave of Adullam. Pouring out this grief before the Lord. This is not right. Help me. And then in the same Psalm 142, though, you have... Look to my right and see, no one's concerned for me. No one's concerned for me. Ever felt like that? Just using you, walking out, passing you by? No one's concerned for me. 
I have no refuge, nowhere to depend, nowhere to rely. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, (laughs) you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. You're what I've got. That's what I say. And feeling all of this stuff when his world begins to crumble all around him, God is after something good and it's taking a while. All of the emotions are there, but he's shifting his dependence away from his attractiveness, his ability, his achievements, his affirmation, his acceptance and his audacity. He's shifting it to something that can't be moved. And that's what God gets about when it feels like our world is falling in. I'm going to take you from where you are and I'm going to put you in a place that won't shake, that won't be pulled apart. I'm going to put you in a relationship with me where I'll never walk out from you and I'll never let you down. Perfect in all of my ways. Perfect in all of my ways. Perfect in all of my ways. Taste and see. That the Lord is good, David said. And his mind is beginning to evolve over as he shifts from where he was to a new place. Now David's got to do that. To be the man that God is going to make him into. God has to shift his security from what happens around him to God himself, the immovable faithful one. And without that, he cannot be a king and a ruler in Israel. It's got to happen on the inside before it happens on the outside. So standing with tears on the patio deck of my Alinda home looking over Melbourne at the lights feeling so alone yet I know in the pain there's something going on that is good in me a resoluteness is growing an ability to look past what is happening to find that my security has got to be Not in what's going on, but in a God who never changes and whose love is insurpassable. So David is on this shift and the other psalm that's written uh, in the cave is uh, 57, if you'd like to turn with me. Psalm 57, verse 1. And this one's called... uh, a mictum, and a lot of discussion about in the heading what a mictum is, certainly written in the cave, but a mictum, a lot of discussion about that. Some scholars would say that's related to the word for gold, like a stamp being on a soft piece of gold and leaving a print gold. So um, this is your Emmy Award, Grammy Award, Grammy winning award psalm here. This is a mictum what you have to hear above all the others 
is the idea behind that understanding. Written in the cave, David writes, all his feelings out, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For in you, in you, my soul takes refuge. Understand the change that's taking place? Not in his circumstances, what is happening. Out by himself, but a deep shift going on inside. In you, my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. It takes a moment of pain and difficulty for us to hear and shift. Otherwise, we just dismiss it. But in those moments that we experience, God is about a wonderful, good thing that we can actually experience, that we can taste and see where he shifts our dependence from what's happening around us to him and his immovability. And for David in the cave, the cave is no longer a hole he's in. But this very same cave, the very same circumstances come to him as a metaphor that this is not just a hole I'm in, this is my refuge. Yes. And he looks at it a whole different way. I'm held. And in our circumstances that we all experience, hey, let's get real. After Sunday and during the week, sometimes we're yelling out, nothing seems to be happening, nothing's working. What's the point? How do I bear this? Hear me, God is doing something good within your life. He's wanting to restructure your life and put it in a place where you have something that the world can't give. And the world can't take it away. That you be founded in him. That you would know that he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. This is the God that saw how we were in our real situation, more of a mess than we will ever admit or see. And understand that the price that has to be paid to bridge the gap and remove the distance between him and us is only one that he can provide. And understand that it's going to take the dearest thing that he has as almighty God to get the distance between you and God solved and out of the way. And it's going to take his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So he gives his one and only son. Died and risen. Why? Because he wants to be with you immistakably, immovably, 
at one with you in a way that never, ever, ever stops and can never be shaken and never fades, always there and sends his Holy Spirit, this great divine one who is here seeking to take the truth of what has happened with God removing the distance and put that into our realization within our heart. That we move and that we live and we have our being from a place that is sure and steady, regardless of what your dad says or your mum says or people at the uni say or the politician says or anyone says, that you are held in a divine clutch. That's what he does when he sends Jesus. And you are those people that such a price would be paid for. And if you've never given your life to Christ and opened it up, your life to him, and said, Lord, if you're like that, I, I want the distance between the God and me closed. I don't want to live aloof. I don't want to live like that. I, I want you in my life. You want to receive him as your Lord, the one that provides your destiny and puts you together as saviour. The opportunity is here for you to do that. You can speak to me after the service or speak to any of these ministry leaders. We want that for you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You're not here to rip you off, put you, make you religious. The Lord is good, good for you, and good through you. Everything that does is, is good. But for everybody else in a moment now, we're going we're to stand. And I want just every one of us to have the opportunity just to respond to this in the circumstances from where we're in. You can stand if you wish. Because we're going to sing a song that's going to help us together exalt the Lord over every difficulty, every problem, every weariness, every situation. We're going to recognize that he's above it all. You may want to just open your hands as a sign, that, as, as a way that it just helps you to be open on the inside as we're seeing that, yeah, he's my refuge. He's where I trust. He's, he's my dependence. So let him make it your own statement before the Lord. He listens. Spirit of God is here, as is Christ. He hears you. He sees you. And let it be yes to your expression. Lord, you're my dependence. And I'm just going to come back in a minute.